I also want to welcome you to Rivermont this morning and uh, just encourage you to know that we are continuing our short series for the four Sundays of Advent, a series that we're calling All is Calm, Even When All is Not Bright. As Pastor Brett mentioned last Sunday, you may recognize that phrasing as belonging partially to the carol, Silent Night. We sing all is calm, all is bright, but does that really match up with our reality? And yet the most profound advent, this is the coming of Jesus Christ. It marks the coming arrival of the Lord Jesus in which there is another kind of advent that is sometimes subservient to that, which is the coming arrival of something else. It marks the arrival of sometimes unwelcome feelings like doubt and shame and fear. Today in the narrative of Joseph and Mary, we'll be looking at Jesus and shame. So I invite you to open your Bibles or one of the few Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 18 to 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you that we come to you in the name of Christ the King. We thank you that we have been singing songs of praise that remind us that Jesus has come to us and that he has come to us to save his people from their sin. We pray that you would touch us anew as we hear this familiar story of Joseph and Mary. So please bless the reading and preaching of your word to change us through the great love of our Savior by the power of his spirit. Amen. Well, with the title Jesus and Shame, you can imagine my concern about our time this morning, since I could be ashamed of my own feelings of shame. And yet, praise God, as I studied God's Word, the Holy Spirit created the context that this shame of our text is for the sake of the salvation of Christ's people and for the sake of ministry. I am relieved. Now, the story we are celebrating during Advent is often more complex than we would like it to be, is it not? The simplicities often presented publicly, the idea of a baby, and the idea of gifts being presented to a baby, these elements are common and often preferred when we consider the Advent and birth of Jesus. And yet, in some ways, this is superficial at best. For it is true that we're celebrating a birth, and it's true that we're celebrating a baby, and it's true that it's easy to fall into 
sentimentality and human attachment when you think of births and babies. Yet there are millions of births every year. And there are millions of new babies every year. And there are millions of babies born in poverty, just as Jesus was. So from the depths of our soul, what makes this particular birth any different from all the others? What is the significance here? That is what Matthew is writing about for God's people, that we would find our freedom, and this is freedom from our sin and from our shame, in Christ Jesus and the message of the cross. While Luke considers the birth of Christ from Mary's perspective, Matthew writes from the perspective of Joseph, the stepfather, the legal father of Jesus. So our verses place the birth of Jesus in the context of the big theme of Scripture, where God wants us to see the arrival of Jesus in the context of the long-expected, much-predicted, divinely appointed prophet, priest, and king that is summed up in the person of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we will soon see, Jesus has all the credentials necessary to be the Messiah, coming to us through Abraham, to David, to Mary and Joseph, the son of David. Now into this background, Matthew describes the first Advent with first the predicament of Advent. This is where there is some scandal and shame here. But then secondly, the purpose or the meaning of Advent. And then finally, the promise of Advent. So let's look first of all at this scandal, the shame of Christmas that we see again in the first team. Please listen to this as Matthew writes. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. I'll stop there. Mid-sentence. From Joseph's perspective, when he did not know that Mary's pregnancy was from the Holy Spirit, the news of Mary's pregnancy came crushing upon his heart. It came assaulting his senses. It came out of the blue. Can you imagine? Here is a man who finds the love of his life, his Mary. And before they come together, which biblically means in normal sexual relations, he discovers that his Mary, his beloved Mary, she is pregnant. Can you imagine Joseph's emotional condition? He can only assume what? He can only assume that his beloved bride had been sexually unfaithful. He expected sin on her part and decided to divorce her, the Word tells us here, quietly. He didn't want to scandalize her. He was a caring, sensitive man. And in some ways, Joseph is the type of man you would want your daughter to marry. Now, the background of what is occurring, of course, was betrothal. Mary and Joseph are betrothed. That means something a good bit more than engagement means in our culture today. For when betrothed in their culture, you are actually considered to be related formally as husband and wife, while the marriage ceremony and the marriage relationship within the bed had not yet occurred. Sometimes that occurred 12 months later. 
The couple did not engage in marital relations, and this is emphasized, emphasized in this passage, that though Mary and Joseph were betrothed, he had not been with her. And so when J- Joseph comes to find out that Mary is expecting a child, he naturally assumes that she has been unfaithful to him, and it breaks his heart, no doubt. He begins to talk about what to do. That is the context of our passage. Now, it is interesting that simultaneously with Mary's honor, okay, let's step back and think of this, of being with child by the Holy Spirit, bearing the very Son of God, it is interesting that along with that honor, simultaneously comes humiliation and danger and shame. Mary, by bearing this child and by people asking questions, she was going to be forced to face some grave danger. She could have been expelled from the community. She could have been shunned. She could have been cut off from everyone who knew her and who loved her, those who were able to give her support as a young mother. She could have been cut off from legitimate ability to support her child. Or she could have been puffed up with pride. She could have been overwhelmed by the heaviness of the position that God had appointed to her and to her alone among other women who were not ever given this task. And so in the midst of this great honor, there came this great danger. And as we think about shame and danger, isn't it interesting how often God may call us to some great work? Or perhaps when He has given us a great work, a great responsibility, a great privilege, a great honor in His kingdom, so often He brings obstacles and stumbling blocks and humiliations so that we are forced to rely upon Him. We face joys and sorrows when we minister to family, to friends, to neighbors, to colleagues, to fellow students. And as Mary did though in those circumstances, we must trust our God that He will give us what we need in the task that He has called us to do. So we press on in ministry. We press on, Pastor Clay, in the call. For Mary, she faces shame and humiliation even as she is given this great honor, this great irony, that the most honored privilege ever given to a woman in the history of the world is connected with bearing shame, estrangement, questioning questioning of her reputation, and humiliation. The cross and glory, they go together as we bear our own crosses believingly for God's sake. And notice Joseph's character here shining through. We are told two things about Joseph in verse 19, that he was a righteous man and we are ultimately told that he was a kind man. You see it here. Joseph, when he finds out that his wife is expecting, though they have never had relations, he responds resolutely as a righteous man, to put her away according to the law of God. But at the same time, Joseph is kind. Because while in the Old Testament, a woman who was found in adultery, who was betrothed to a man, could have been stoned to death. By Joseph and Mary's time, that was not occurring in Israel. 
However, you could have been publicly disgraced and expelled from the community. And in kindness, Joseph decides not to do that. We see here, and this is right outside of our Scripture, but you see it in verses 24 and 25. The man that God chose for his son to to be an earthly father. He was a righteous man, a kind man. He was able to deal with his wife without shame to support her. And then we're told, though, in verse 24, that Joseph awoke and he just simply did as the Lord commanded. He believed the Lord. He trusted the Lord. He obeyed the Lord. He loved Mary through it all. And that's the predicament of the first advent. But now we ask this question. It's the second part of where we are this morning in verses 20 and 21. What's the purpose of the coming of the Lord? What was Christ's purpose in coming to this earth? And here is where the angel comes to Joseph to make sense of the family tragedy of what is occurring in his life. The angel comes to Joseph to explain the significance of this baby that Mary is carrying. Joseph, son of David, what is happening within Mary is from the Holy Spirit. This is a miracle of God. So do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Matthew writes with reverent reserve. He doesn't speculate how the miracle can happen. He refuses to go beyond what is there. And yet the Holy Spirit, who was the instrument of the first creation, is now the instrument of this new creation in the womb of Mary. God is the God of the supernatural, is He not? Matthew opens his Gospel with Abraham and then he comes to Mary. And the Bible highlights a God who has no boundaries, no limits to what He can do. The story of God, which is the story of the Bible, is the story of a God who saves and rescues and who delivers His people from danger. He is the God who divides the sea. He is the God who makes the sun stand still. And by giving signs and wonders throughout redemptive history, He prepares us for this stunning announcement that a virgin shall be with child by the Holy Spirit. And this child will come to save His people from their sins. Now to understand the beauty of what is occurring, you must understand this this meaning of the word save. It's a radical word. You do not save someone who needs just a little bit of help, do you? You have to save someone who is in great danger. A person who is lost at sea needs saving. A person who who has stopped breathing needs saving. A person who is dead in their trespasses and sin, that person needs saving. That means that prior to Jesus saving them, His people were helplessly, hopelessly lost in their sins. They were alienated from God under His righteous judgment and unable to free themselves from this condition. A Savior is the one who has the power to rescue people who could not rescue themselves. Jesus has the God-given power to save His people from their sins. So you ask, what is sin? That is the great danger that we're in. Well, sin is breaking God's law or failing to keep God's law. Sin is my spirit of rebellion against God. Sin is my frustration that says, 
You are not there, Almighty God. And if you are there, perhaps I really don't want you to intervene into my life. Sin is making some things that are secondary, ultimate. Ultimate in my life and allowing them to take the place of God in my life. I can make my family. I can make my job. I can make my work. My ambitions. I can make them all an idol if I elevate them above the status of the Lord. That is sin. Sin is anything that displaces God as the first priority of my life. It's basic to all of us. Sin is why we have ill will words towards one another. Sin is why we fall out of relationship at times. Sin is why we say hurtful words. Sin is why we sometimes can walk out of marriages. Sin is the stuff that destroys relationships. Sin is in us. Sin is everywhere. Sin is the essence of shame. Sadly, above all, sin separates us from God and it creates a barrier in which we cannot have a relationship with the Holy God. We are removed or pushed away from His presence. And so, dear family of God, we can't even talk about Christmas without talking about the need of Christ to come into the world to save us from our sins. Here we come face to face with the virgin birth of Christ. Jesus was born. Jesus came to this earth to save people from their sin. We affirm it in the Apostles' Creed almost every week. I believe in Jesus Christ who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And do you hear what's happening? Because He is born of Mary, He is fully human. Because He is conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is fully God. Because He is born holy, He is sinless in thought, word, and deed. That makes Him fully qualified to be our Savior. To represent us upon the cross. So that we would be saved from our sins. From the predicament and purpose of Advent, though, let's move on to the promises of Advent. The most profound promise is to overcome our shame and our sin, is the miracle of God's mercy. Yes, there's evidence of God's miraculous work at creation and in the incarnation of the Lord Jesus and in His bodily resurrection, but do you see the the great miracle that He has chosen to forgive us of our sins? It's profound. God loved us so much that He became human to save us. God became one of us to save us from our sins. God became one of us in order to forgive us. We celebrate that love, that miracle, as we come to the Lord's table this day. We long to be full of joy and peace because Christ has made peace between God and man. And since God has been merciful to us, it's only appropriate that we would be merciful to one another. It's miraculous. Yet there's more of God's promise in these closing two verses. The angel assures Joseph that Jesus will save his people from their sins. And he goes on to say this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christ's forgiveness of our sins is going to bring about the realization that the Old Testament prophets 
talked about all the time. This phrase that echoes throughout the Bible that God wants to be our God. He wants us to be His people. And He wants to make His dwelling in our midst. Now Matthew is saying, that's what Jesus came for. He came to save you from your sins so that you could experience God with us. So that you may experience the presence of God, the fellowship with God, the friendship of God day by day. What a gift! That's what we were created for. In Genesis 3, we are told that God came walking in the cool of the day in the garden. It was apparently a regular occurrence to have fellowship with Adam. But this day in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, do you remember what they did? They hid themselves from the presence of God. That's because they had rebelled against God. They sensed against God. Sadly, Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of God because they knew that they had sinned. Yet our fellowship with God is to be highly valued. Again, it is because that is what God has created us for. That's what is recorded in The Bible, and that's what makes Genesis 3 so tragic. Adam and Eve, they're hiding from the presence of God. They're hiding from the one thing that they were created for. It's a picture of what sin does. In sin, we hide ourselves from the very thing that we were created for. And that's when our shame abounds. Shame will overwhelm us. And yet, our Emmanuel is calling It's telling us that He came so that forgiven sinners can experience what they were created for. The enjoyment of the presence of God. The enjoyment of friendship with God. We are created for that friendship. And we now receive that friendship as a gift. We cannot do it ourselves. But we can receive the gift of what the Lord has done for us as our Savior. And praise God, that gift intensifies. For Matthew begins his gospel with the angel's announcement of the birth of Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. And Matthew ends his gospel with the resurrected Jesus giving final instructions to his church, saying this, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth, to the end of this age. Two thousand years ago, the angel saying, saying, marking the arrival of Jesus, God with us. And today we continue to sing because Jesus is also with us. This is no lofty sentiment. This is the promise Jesus makes to all who would believe in Him. So during this Advent season and Christmas tide, I hope that you long to be forgiven, the forgiven friend of God, and that you would want your children and your neighbors to also be the forgiven friends of God. And all of this is by God's grace, mercy, and power as He reaches out to us as our Emmanuel. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ who came to save us from our sins, to guide us into fellowship with God. Would you now open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to love, 
Our wills to embrace the Son of God who became the Son of Mary, that He would be our eternal Emmanuel, God with us. Through the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.